Go, the official show on the Fish Stripes podcast channel, where we cover the Miami Marlins every day in our own way. I'm Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fish Stripes, the show presented by Symbol, the stock market for sports. Let the show lead you out of the all-star break and into the second half of the Marlins season. Most of this episode is going to be me joined by a friend, a Fish Stripes alum, a great baseball mind and content creator, Aram Layden. He's on the pod for the first time in about four months since uh, towards the end of spring training. So we'll be looking back at some bold predictions from the spring and, of course, looking forward to the rest of the Marlins season, making some even bolder predictions about the 2022 All-Star Game. In the spirit of this All-Star break, looking forward to who the impactful Marlins players could be a full year from now. It's fun stuff, silly stuff, but we hope you enjoy all of that. A quick appetizer to this, I wanted to check in on some old friends. I have a longer article about this up on fishstripes.com about the all old friends team right now, where it feels like we were obsessing over this subject in 2018 and 2019 when the Marlins in mostly in one big swoop and then uh, m- like gradually after that, they traded away that entire core of players, mostly key position players to other teams. And it left very little in the cupboard for to watch on the Marlins themselves. So it was kind of obsessive to follow along what's going on with other teams. Of course, the Marlins are now more competitive now than they were in those first couple years of the rebuild. And frankly, a lot of these old friends are just not as productive right now as they were immediately when those trades happened. Yet I still found guys at every single position to put together a full 26-man roster of Marlins, ex-Marlins players who have had great first halves. Well, okay, that's pushing it a little. A couple of them that had great first halves, some other ones that were, you know, simply around. So, it, it you know, it's a trip down memory lane, just acknowledging that there are plenty of baseball stories going on even outside of our Marlins Orbit. I'm not going to touch on all 26 players here. I picked out, I think, seven guys here of interest, and I'll do quick hits on them. The first one that should be top of mind if you watch the All-Star game is JT Realmuto, because not only did he start the All-Star game for the National League, he was still in the game when Trevor Rogers, the Marlins All-Star this year, took the mound. So they threw to each other in that top of the fifth inning, a cool moment. Right after that inning, Realmuto came up to bat, and he hit a home run that got the National League on the board in the game. If you just look at his overall production, it continues to be great, particularly when you adjust for the catcher's position. He's still a well above average offensive catcher, great defensive catcher. He has played 70 games in the first half of the season. That's right up there with the largest totals of any catcher in baseball. And he has accumulated two and a half wins above replacement during that first half of the season. He's roughly on pace to be the same guy he was in 2018, 2019, 2020. Uh, we don't need to rehash all this, but there was a case that the Marlins should have gone farther and made a bigger push to extend him while they still had the chance. That trade uh, has taken a couple of twists and turns. Ultimately, I think both sides are going to be happy with making that trade, both the Phillies and the Marlins. He continues to be thriving as he starts the first year of a big free agent deal 
and still with the Phillies. The former NL MVP, Giancarlo Stanton, he's in year four with the Yankees. And uh, as you may know, the Yankees have been one of the more infuriating teams in baseball, more you know disappointing, where they went into the season projected to be perhaps the favorites in the American League. And if nothing else, they were supposed to be a great offensive team. And Stanton is one of the only guys on the team that is like anywhere close to performing up to his track record so far. So his slash line at the All-Star break, 270, 364, 484 slugging. So an OPS of 848. It's roughly in line with where he's been all of his Yankee seasons. Great in a vacuum. A clear step down from where he was with the the Marlins for most of that entire stretch earlier in his career. Uh, a fun wrinkle to it is that he has been exclusively a designated hitter for the Yankees, which is a head scratcher for a guy that is still only 31 years old. You know, on the tail end of his prime, not not necessarily in a steep decline at this point. And they have an interesting test. Once the Yankees come to Miami in a few weeks, whether or not they are going to actually push him to play in the outfield, whether they feel comfortable with him doing that, knowing that he has missed so much time due to injury, of course, the Marlins years, but even more so in the Yankees years. He had a brief IL stint earlier this season. He missed most of 2020. He missed nearly all of the 2019 season, mostly with leg injuries. So we're going to be seeing him against the Marlins in the fairly near future. Um, On the outside, he looks very much like the same superstar you remember. The production is still good, but he was not an all-star. Of all these guys, the only one who was an all-star selection this year was JT. Continuing here with Christian Yelich, who has one of the wackier stat lines you'll see, both this year, more so last year, um... I think a lot of people kind of dismissed that as a weird COVID year that he was, uh, through a variety of measures, he was extremely unlucky in 2020, and that brought him down to being a, a weird hitter, just someone that was hard to recognize compared to what he had been in the past. This year, what's been the same is that he is walking 20% of the time. When he comes up five times, any five times, on average, he is walking once, nearly once every single game. Yelich is being walked, a couple of those intentional, but for the most part, he's just being pitched around, and he is not chasing out of the zone. His slash line this year, 241. Again, Christian Yelich only hitting 241, but with a 399 on base percentage and a 369 slugging. His OBP is higher than his slugging for what would be the first time in his career. He only has five home runs at the All-Star break. Um, Like Stanton, he had an IL stint earlier on. This one was for his back, so he has missed some time uh, overall that kind of got rid of any shot of him potentially making the All-Star team. His big mega contract with the Brewers hasn't even kicked in yet. That is coming next year, and I don't know how they're going to feel about that because he just continues to reach base at a pretty elite clip. It's just that nothing else about his game is. It seems like his luck has evened out in terms of, you know, on balls and play, but he's not hitting it over the wall anymore. His average exit velocity is the lowest it's ever been since he reached the major leagues. Just a very weird season for Yelich in the midst of a great season for the Brewers overall. They've been in first place for most of this year, still up pretty comfortably in the National League Central. Let's see if he kind of reverts to normal as we get to the second half of the season. 
a couple more here. Jonathan VR, who arrived in the Marlins with a lot of enthusiasm. They thought, we thought, I think everybody thought they got him at a good value, and it turned out to be sort of a bust. He just wasn't a great fit. He kind of drove you crazy with some of his um, VR-ness, to, for lack of a better word. With the Mets, he's been a pretty critical piece. The Mets have been devastated by injuries, probably more so than any other individual team. VR himself missed a little bit of time with a hamstring injury, but overall, he's been one of the more durable players. You wouldn't even believe. So to this point, hitting above league average, a 745 OPS with nine home runs and eight steals, playing primarily third base. So there's a lot of wackiness going on here with VR. He had not played third base at all in any game since 2016, first time in five years, and all of a sudden, it is his primary position, almost exclusively playing third base when he's in the lineup for them. Because the Mets have missed so many guys with injuries, and because a lot of their hitters have underperformed, VR is tied for third on the first place Mets in home runs. He is tied for first among all their players in stolen bases. He has been worth about one win above replacement level. Again, and we're barely halfway through the season, um, so it pales in comparison to what he did in 2019 with the Orioles, but it's certainly a big bounce back compared to what he was last year when we were just thankful to unload him in the first place. Uh, on a related note, as we'll get into with Arm Laden in a few minutes, um, the trade to send him to the Blue Jays, they brought back Griffin Conine in return, and Arm is as much of a Conine family expert as anybody on both Griffin Conine and, of course, Mr. Marlin, Jeff Conine. So we'll be getting into that for sure. Uh, a couple more here on the pitching side, Caleb Smith. Speaking of guys that the Marlins traded at the deadline last year, he started this year at the very beginning in the D-backs rotation. Pretty quickly, he got bumped into the bullpen, and he did great there. Then about midway through that first half, like late May, early June, he began to return to the D-backs rotation and did kind of well. And then, unfortunately, all that momentum he had going into the break, potentially being a hot commodity on the trade market got blown up by the Dodgers. He had one of the worst starts of any pitcher in baseball this year on July 10th, going one inning, allowing nine earned runs and three home runs. In jakes, in one plus inning, he could not get an out in that second inning. His ERA went up from 3-4-5, pretty good, all the way to 4-5-4, which is kind of typical Caleb. It's exactly his career mark, (laughs) exactly his career mark now, and it kind of washes away the momentum that he had. I still wonder, though, whether he's someone that could be flipped to a team at the deadline, someone that's really in need of like a fifth starter type or a long man out of the pen. A really good story uh, is with the Seattle Mariners, Drew Steckenrider. You remember him? He was drafted and developed by the Marlins. He had a couple of really great stretches as a setup man at the beginning of this rebuild. They let him go after this past season. He hurt his elbow, a pretty significant injury. The the Mariners kind of took a flyer on him. I don't think they paid him much above the league minimum, and he's been excellent in their bullpen, absolutely excellent. I think the best old friend reliever that I could find, you know, doing this research, a 212 ERA and a 237 fielder independent pitching. It's very rare that you see a FIP that low from anybody. That's like Anthony Bender-like. That's Trevor Rogers-like. In 34 innings of work for the Mariners, he's had a couple save opportunities. Primarily, he's been in a setup role. You got to feel great for him. 
because this really does set up well for him to finally get paid a decent amount in arbitration next year. He's still inexperienced enough at the major league level. He's 30 years old, but only a few years of service time in the majors that he is under team control for the Mariners for the next several years. That's just a great pickup for them. And one of the reasons why the Mariners are still above 500 this deep into the year as you may know, the Mariners have had the longest playoff drought in the majors and by a big margin now that the Marlins finally snapped their drought last year. We finish off this quick segment, of course, with uh, the old friend that I hold dearest to my heart, outfielder Harold Ramirez. You guys probably remember I was unhappy when they cut ties with him and it took a little while. He didn't make the Indians opening day roster. He joined them as a waiver claim it's worth a reminder that that's how it went down, that nobody wanted to give up anything to trade from Her- to trade for Harold as we were entering spring training this year. The Indians were able to just pick him up um, for basically nothing. They held him in their alternate training site for the first month or so of the regular season. Uh, finally, they had enough poor performance and injuries in their outfield for him to have a role, and he's basically been hitting ever since. Did you? Big Harold, big fly, goodbye. Andre, go swimming. It's the blade. <laughs> Indians have a one nothing lead. Ramirez with home run number four. His slash line, 280, 327, 457. It's even better than it was as a rookie. That's It's really not that surprising. He is 26 years old. He is fully recovered from that injury he had at the end of the 2020 season. It's not that crazy to see that he is better than ever to this point in the year. Uh, Yeah, pretty much the same guy in a lot of different categories, but just a slightly better, more mature version of him. The biggest surprise is that his... He's been able to convince them that he's like a viable center fielder. It's not his main spot, uh, more so than anything. They're using him in right field, but he does enough to fake it out there in center. He's got six home runs. Um, I mean, just to put it into perspective, the, the hitting numbers, not as an overall player, I would never make that comparison, but the hitting numbers are extremely, extremely similar to Starling Marte this year. He continues to just light things up uh, for whatever team he goes to. Like, just feeling great for for Harold. I don't think the Marlins should be too bitter about him being gone because we've, of course, seen that Garrett Cooper is hitting even better than Harold is. Um, There's really no... You you can nitpick Starling Marte's recent slump, but he has been overall just a, a great, great contributor for them in all ways. And even now in left field, they have Jesus Sanchez doing a lot of the same things that Harold does as well with even more upside, if I'm being honest about it. So it's not like it it would move the needle one way or the other in terms of where the Marlins season is going in their long-term direction. I just think he would be a great complimentary piece on the team, especially with, you know, some hope that the designated hitter is coming to baseball next season universally. This show Presented, as always, by Symbol, the stock market for sports. Fish Stripes has been partnered with Symbol for the entire year. On Symbol, you can trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when those teams win. Use your knowledge about MLB, NFL, the NBA, and starting just a couple weeks ago, college football. A lot of those major conference teams are now on Symbol as well for you to trade 
for you to buy low, sell high, and profit off of your knowledge of these sports teams. Join more than 2,500 early adopters who have already started to invest. www.simbull.app. Symbol.app. That's where you go to create your free account. When you make that first deposit, use promo code FISHSTRIPES. The current Sim Marlins share price is $27.63. Check out all the other teams across all these sports at symbol.app. Promo code FISHSTRIPES for your $10 deposit bonus to help build your portfolio. Invest in what you know. Invest in sports. Without further ado, here is my chat with good friend of the show, the founder, executive editor of Just Baseball, Arm Layden. Enjoy. Joining me now, we have founder and executive editor of Just Baseball, Locked On Marlins and Locked On MLB Prospects podcast host, Outside the Box with Jeff Conine co-host, and most importantly, a Fish Stripes alum, Arm Layden is our special guest. I believe you're in Denver right now for the All-Star festivities, right? Uh, We're recording this before the Midsummer Classic. How has that trip been for you so far the past couple of days? Oh my gosh, man. It's been a whirlwind. We, we squeezed it together last minute as an opportunity to, you know, get just baseball going. Uh, it's been so much fun. Got to see the Futures game, got to see Max Meyer, Jake Eater, and all of the incredible players out there. And I mean, this was a great spot for it. I know there's a lot that went into moving it. And that, all that aside, Denver is a great place. Course Field is unbelievable. And I got to check off another stadium. So now I only got four to go to finish out that 30. So uh, a lot of fun things going on. Yeah, for people unfamiliar, you have been yeah going through that checklist for years now, and it's awfully close. Yeah, I was there probably like five years ago, right in the middle of the season at both Coors Field and in Denver for like a whole week on family vacation. It is pretty great. What are we gonna do here on the pod today? Uh, uh, I want I told you pre-show we don't want to branch into too many different topics because we could talk for for all day, all night. But I don't want you to miss the All Star Game. So <laughs> the, well, the first thing we're gonna focus on is uh, people on the pod. They may remember that the last time you were on here with me, we went through some bold predictions in towards the end of spring training in the middle of March for the Marlins season, and we're going to review the picks that we made for that because they are going surprisingly well uh, in most cases and some other cases, not so much. Uh, you are, I think as much as anybody in the media, you're a pretty great expert on all things Conine, uh, both Jeff Conine and Griffin Conine. As I mentioned up top, uh, you have a, a brand new podcast with Jeff that you co-host that every episodes uh, twice a week, at least once a week, twice a week, right? With Jeff. Yeah, twice a week, uh, and, and I'm really excited about it because he is excited about it, which makes it super fun, and he's got just such a wealth of knowledge, and we're going twice a week right now. We'll see if we can ramp it up a little bit, but as you know, he, he took a, a pretty daunting job, which he's excited about as well as the associate head coach at Florida International University, so he's on the recruiting trail a little bit too, so we got to navigate around that, but it's been so much fun, and uh, it's just a blast to be able to highlight his knowledge for everybody. 
Yeah, so we'll get into all things Conan later on. And then at the very end, because uh, those bold predictions at the start of this year, they turned out to be too easy. We're going to ramp up the level <laughs> of difficulty and make way too early picks for 2022 Marlins All-Stars, a full calendar year from now, uh, just throwing out from each of us the top five candidates we think on the Marlins team. And I'm giving you a little bit, a little bit of time to marinate on that before we get to that at the very end of the show. But to start off those bold predictions almost four months ago, um, I want to start with Pablo Lopez because Pablo recent record setter for striking out nine straight guys to start a game heading into the break. He was that one guy that both of us independently, we came up with picks for Pablo because we were, we were pretty high on him coming off his 2020 season. We thought he could build on that. And to this point, he has kind of done that. We may have gone a little too bold in that you had him specifically finishing top five in national league ERA by the end of the year. I had him getting some down ballot votes in the Cy Young voting and both those things are still possible, but he'll need to be even better in the second half than he was in the first half, your thoughts just on Pablo's season. Uh, has it gone? He's made the adjustments that you were expecting. Uh, where do, where do we see him now? Just in general, like as like, how do we describe him in terms of uh, who he is as a player and where he fits, you know, among the best players on the Marlins and among the best pitchers in the national league. Uh, I think it's a great question because both of us as guys that have just been covering the Marlins in depth, I know Pablo has been somebody that you've been all over for like years now. Right. And um, I mean, we could talk about Anthony Bender later. You probably should have squeezed in an Anthony Bender bold prediction in there too, but uh, knowing with that you started Bender mania, but basically with Pablo, I think he's just really figured himself out too. Right. He knows what works for him. He knows how to get the most out of his stuff sequencing and he's so smart I mean we know he's probably gonna be a doctor when he's done playing and you could kind of see that come out when he's on the mound and the way he knows how to for lack of a better word like he's surgical out there but the stuff is just really good too he's sustaining the velo better he's healthy which I think is the most important thing and I mean I think when you see a team like the Braves who has seen him a million times and hits him pretty well at times but you see what he does to them, setting the record, striking out what was it, nine in a row, start the game, but also getting Freddie Freeman, who's one of my favorite hitters in baseball in terms of just being a pure hitter, swinging to the point where his helmet falls off, right? Like that's when you know that a team that sees you all the time is still taking really bad hacks when you're on and you can keep them off balance. To me, that uh, solidifies him as a guy that's always going to be able to compete. You can always count on to every day out there, you have to assume he's going to give you six innings of two runs, three runs. I mean, obviously, Stuff happens between starts, and sometimes you don't have your best stuff. But I think he's one of those dudes that is one of the more consistent arms you can find in baseball. He's not going to have uh, that 2-2 ERA maybe like some of the other aces have. But to me at this point, I see him as a solidified number two uh, in this game. And given where he came from and how the Marlins got him, I, that's one of the biggest wins you can imagine. Yeah, acquired by the Marlins right about four years ago from Seattle in the David Phelps trade. And he wasn't even the headliner prospect in that trade. It is one of the great values like in, in years that the Marlins have gotten in any sort of transaction of, of any kind. So he goes into the break over a hundred innings pitched already for a guy that has had durability concerns. I mean, that's the thing most of all that I have loved is the fact that he has not been hurt whatsoever. You know, his workload was limited a little bit by that ejection, by that one pitch yeah. ejection, but otherwise um, he is, 
taking the ball every single time he was supposed to. And in almost all the starts working into the middle inning. So the fact that he's been able to hold up physically, probably on top of everything you said, that's what I am. I'm so thrilled for him. The fact is he's been, he's been able to do that. He's going to be arbitration eligible for the first time next year. He's finally going to be able to make some decent money for himself. And the fact that he's been in this rotation, uh, throughout this entire first half of the year has set him up great for that. The, the, the one guy in this rotation that you'd have to say has been even more effective to this point was another guy you made that bold prediction about Trevor Rogers. I remember very specifically that comment that you were kind of wavering as to whether or not just to make the prediction for him to win the National League Rookie of the Year award. The prediction we got you down for was for him to finish top three in Rookie of the Year voting. And that is a virtual lock at this point. It's very rare to have one of these predictions be a lock uh, before the second <laughs> half even starts, but he could, there's really like no scenario where he doesn't finish top three. He is the clear front runner at this point uh, with him kind of the same situation. Uh, we just feel that I guess he has, no matter how high your expectations were, you'd have to say he has exceeded them to this point. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I, I wanted to say AL or NL rookie of the year, but I was like, people are going to think I'm out of my mind. So I'll say just top three finalists and, and we left it at that. But I think when you look at what, we, what he was doing in spring training, and I know it was spring training, but just watching those starts whenever we were able to and getting out there once just to see him and just the fastball, how hard it is to pick up out of his hand. Uh, it just looked miserable for righties and lefties. And then the fact that he has that change up that looks just like it until the last 15 feet and just fades out of there. And he's been able to make the slider at least usable. Uh, he has just been unbelievable to watch develop. And uh, I would say I was expecting him to have some more bumps in the road. I thought he'd have those dominant starts. I thought when, on a macro scale, he'd have a good year. But I'm, uh, I'm just shocked at how consistent he's been. There really haven't been that many blow-up starts at all. There hasn't been that much inconsistency, uh, especially when we're considering he's a rookie that threw a little bit last year and just rolled right into this year. And it's been not only one of the best rookies, but – one of the most consistent arms in all of baseball this year uh, in a lot of different aspects. Has not, uh, he has not allowed more than three runs in any start this entire first half of the season. The, cons the consistency is off the charts. Another bold prediction you had, uh, we won't spend too much time on this one uh, because there's a lot of factors that go into this, that the Marlins would also be top three as a team in National League ERA. As of the All-Star break, they are fifth in the National League, but it is... It is, it's a virtual tie with the Mets, I think, at number four and the Padres at number three. It's two one hundredth hundredths of a run out of third oh, place it? in ERA. Yeah, 0 0.02 behind the Padres. The Padres that obviously have bigger names, bigger, more established names, what, multiple Cy Young Award winners in there in the rotation and the lockdown closer and yeah, the Marlins are right there. So that one will wait. It will watch. I mean, there's a decent shot because we know the Marlins have these other exciting arms, hopefully coming up the second half of the season and all of that. We'll go back to one of my predictions and you hinted at it earlier it was Anthony Bender leading the Marlins in saves this season based uh, someone that was totally off the grid, even for me entering spring training, but pretty, almost immediately after he got on that mound and you could actually see the stuff, you could quantify the stuff. I was pretty confident that he would be a great major league reliever. He had uh, one of the great starts to a career that anybody has ever had in terms of the scoreless streak that he had striking out everybody left and right. Uh, the one time that I maybe started to doubt him a little bit, a few weeks ago, he came back and had his best game yet when he 
He was Pablo like he went through like six Braves hitters and he struck all six of them out in one of those games in Atlanta. Uh, so overall, he did pick up one save. He got one in before the break, but he has a pretty big mountain to climb uh, to get to Yimmy because Yimmy Garcia, for the most part, has had most of those save opportunities. Uh, you, can, you can talk about Bender a little bit, but that's kind of also a bridge to Yimmy as well, that he's he's a pending free agent. So you would think the Marlins are going to do everything possible to try to find a trade fit for, for him at the deadline to kind of clear the way for Bender. How, how do you think that is going to play out with the closers role the second half of the year that you feel confident that Yimmy is going to get traded and that if he does get traded, is Bender definitely the next man up to get those saves? I would think so, you know, and, and real quick on the ERA thing, I made a bet with a couple guys on our staff that uh, they gave me two to one odds on the just baseball staff that the Marlins would not. I said they would finish in the top 10 in ERA in major league baseball. Uh, and I just said starting rotation. So that's looking pretty good uh, on, that reg- on that regard. And they did it without six, though. So and you mentioned some of the guys coming up. But to answer the Bender thing, uh, that is to me, a no brainer, but we know how Don likes to stick with his guys and, and it's, it's admirable in a lot of ways, but sometimes it can get a little bit frustrating. And I think the front office is going to see it as an opportunity to you take what you can get, uh, save a few bucks by getting out from the couple million overall, I guess it'd probably be like 700,000 million bucks left on the rest of the contract this year. But if you can get whatever you can get some teams that aren't looking to give up a premium for a reliever, it seems like it makes just way too much sense to trade me. I'd be shocked if he stays. Then who else are you going to? Who else is even reasonably in contention for taking that ninth inning? I just don't see how it could be anybody other than Anthony Bender. And I forgot that you made that prediction. I was saying, I, I didn't remember if you did it. What a prediction that was because I've just been floored by him. I've talked to a couple of guys that play on the indie ball team that he played on in Milwaukee, the Milkmen. And they said that he's almost like a legend over there about like what he was able to figure out and how he could parlay it into uh, what he's doing in the major leagues. Um, and he he's like this year's Nick Anderson. He, I think he's right on that same trajectory. Hopefully he can stay healthy, but I really think he can, he can be that same type of guy. Yeah, I, I hope so. I really do. Because for so many reasons, I've really enjoyed watching Anthony Bender pitch. We're with Aram Layden, of course, making his second appearance on the pod so far this season, reviewing some bold predictions we made early in the year. And we got to half of them already. Uh, there was one on each side for us that um, did not age well at all years with Corey Dickerson making the NL all-star team. And I, that wasn't, that wasn't even like the most surprising pick he made. I thought because he was for a lot of people, a very popular bounce back candidate for the season. He had been an all-star before he was still potentially in the prime of his career or not far removed from it. Um, and now he's in Toronto recovering from a foot injury. Uh, yeah, never really, I guess you could say the very beginning of the season, you may remember he was like piling up the hits the first few weeks of the season. He was hitting like 350 into the yeah. middle of April. You know, there was a little flash that you were onto something there, but didn't really pan out unfortunately for Corey wishing him all the best the rest of the year hope he gets back healthy and contributes to an exciting Blue Jays team and and for me the one that aged the worst to this point is Cameron Meisner as someone who I thought would be in minor league player of the year consideration the former comp rounds pick for the Marlins just two years ago he's been with Beloit all year he is he's doing some positive things down there I mean he's a really uh 
dynamic base dealer and doing it really efficiently. Um, He's been, for the most part, pretty healthy over there, decent on base skills and defense, but just not showing enough impact with the bat to uh, really be in that mix. Um, The one, let's say there were two other ones from me that I also want to touch on. I guess with Jazz, we'll spend a moment on him because my prediction, this was, people need to put themselves in the right mind frame here. This was the middle of March in spring training, still two weeks ago in spring. And Jazz got off to a relatively slow start to spring. Isan Diaz got off to a great start. And when we were recording that in the middle of March, uh, I think Isan was still, you know, the slight betting favorite to win that second base job out of spring training. But yet I predicted that Jazz would reach 20 home runs as we get to the all-star break. He is at 11 and he would be even on a better pace if he didn't miss, you know, time due to a couple lower leg injuries. Uh, but overall with jazz, we're in a pretty interesting spot with him because he was the talk of baseball for most of April got hurt since coming back. There've been some other really fantastic moments, but his consistency has been uh, very up and down uh, overall. How do we feel about where he is at the all-star break in his first major league season? I think the one thing you said is really important. Like remember where we were at mindset wise and where we were at with our mind frames, because this was a situation where we're saying I was guilty of it, where I was saying maybe it makes sense to give Isan the nod, right? Because he, he hasn't, he doesn't need anything else to prove in triple A. And, and then we saw Isan playing the bigs and I was uh, very much keen on maybe finding somebody else to, to fill in there, but jazz has exceeded my expectations. I know he's been up and down and it's not because I don't think jazz could be a star. I just thought it was going to be a little bit less of the explosiveness and, and the production that we've seen. I know what he's capable of, but I didn't think he'd be able to do it on this scale in a leadoff spot for the Marlins being one of, and in spurts, their best offensive player, you know, that is something that I thought was going to be more of a slow roll with him, especially after seeing him last year. I think as you alluded to right now, that the issue is that the league is figuring out how to pitch to him a little bit. He's still able to scratch and claw and, and get his big hits. But I think what we're really seeing him suffer now is that the league has figured out that the, the high stuff, you know, the below up is something that can get him sometimes, especially if you sequence, sequence it, excuse me, properly. And we're seeing him struggle with that at times. So he'll go the one for four with a double or a homer and the three strikeouts. And still, given that he's a rookie and given his volatile skill set, I think this is a great outcome. And the Marlins can feel really confident. Marlins fans can feel really confident that he's going to be a big part of the future and he's only going to get better and find more consistency. So I, I came away really, really encouraged through this first half. I don't think it could have went much better in terms of reasonability. Maybe if he stayed healthy, uh, he probably would even have a little bit more consistency. On the Meisner side, real quick too, I was just in South Bend and I know we'll talk about that a little bit too, but just seeing that whole Beloit team play, you look at Meisner physically and athletically, he stands out uh, among everybody there, really. I mean, there's nobody that really looks the part more than Meisner in terms of just the big league body and athleticism. And you look, and there's not really anything that stands out. I, I was sitting there looking at my buddy, and I was saying, why is this guy not hitting? It's really hard to tell. He doesn't expand the zone. He doesn't have a big swing. He doesn't have a terrible approach. But it's just not really translating. I think it's it's definitely frustrating. I'm not going to say the ship has sailed or anything like that, but – it, you're just wondering because I watch him and nothing stands out to me that's that bad. It just seems like he just can't quite get it going. I still believe in him big time. And uh, that has to be one of the more surprising because I would say that was one of your safer picks uh, that we made here and these uh, yeah. bold predictions. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. That's I think that's what you learn when you look back at bold predictions is that the the most logical ones, uh, the easiest ones are are the ones that maybe uh, age the worst and that it's the ones that when you really stretch your imagination, those are the ones that actually do pan out. One more, one more bold prediction on uh, each side to look back on. I had thought they, the Marlins could have the very best defense in all baseball, the best fielding, uh, whether that's by the eye test or a variety of advanced stats. Um, and to this point, they've been pretty firmly above average. Uh, a lot of individual guys that really have lived up to the hype. Um, I mean, at, I was kind of betting on a mix of these young guys emerging uh, these young athletes that we've already known so much about coming through the farm system and also a combination of these veteran guys either turning back the clock or aging very gracefully and so it's been some hit or miss there where Adam Duvall for one sticks out he's been fantastic defensively occasionally at all three outfield spots and mainly in right field Starling Marte has done great defensively as well when he's been healthy. Um, unfortunately, we had the injury to Brian Anderson and we've seen the drop off there at third base defensively. Uh, I was making that prediction in mind that we would see a lot of Lewin Diaz at first base and his opportunities have been pretty limited uh, thus far due to having Aguilar and Cooper. Um, Cooper having, I mean, he's been the best hitter on the team overall, but he's given back some of that value in right fields when he plays <laughs> out there. So it's been kind of hit or miss, uh, you know, slightly above average defense overall uh, there. But on your side, and this is the one that we want to get to, um, the one that you had said even admittedly was thinking more with your heart than with your mind was picking Griffin Conine as the potential Marlins minor league player of the year in his first full year in the organization after being acquired from the Blue Jays in the Jonathan VR trade. Uh, it's the same Griffin Conine, of course, that is the son of Jeff Conine, son of Jeff. And his season, it started off pretty solidly. And then I guess most recently is as hot as he's ever been. I mean, this past week, uh, I thought he would win uh, like high A central player of the week. And he just missed out on that award. But I mean, that, that's kind of burying the lead. He is leading minor league baseball in home runs. He's leading all levels of the minors in home runs as we go. This is the exact midpoint of the minor league season. We're a little past the major league midpoint, but this is exactly midway through the minor league season. And he is, his production is off the charts. I mean, I could go through the stats in a moment, but, but you and Griff go way back uh, personally. And as you just said, you got to see him in person for a couple of days in uh, South Bend, Indiana, I guess on your way to, to Denver. Uh, just how do you sum up what, what Griff has done for the first 60 games of this minor league season? Yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head with a lot of it. it of course it was, admittedly a, a prediction with my heart a little bit, but at the same time, um, I watched him work uh, so hard through the off season and, uh, and not just on working out and those things like deliberately looking at his swing. How can I be more efficient? How can I be more consistent? And yes, the strikeouts have still been there. That's something that people like to highlight, but you look at the last two weeks, those have been cutting down more and more, but the swing is different and, and we're seeing it play at a much more consistent level. And, I just think with Griffin, we talk about guys who look the part like Meisner. 
you're not going to find somebody with much more power in the minor leagues than Griffin Conine. I mean, you see the balls that he hits. It's never a cheap one. You look at his home run to fly ball rate, 50% of the balls he hits in the air are leaving yeah. the yard. And a lot of people will say that's unsustainable. But with a guy like Griff, I really think it is sustainable. When he gets it in the air, it's probably going to go because he does it to all fields. His spray chart's ridiculous as well. Uh, it was awesome to go out there. Got to catch him on his birthday. He homered in all three games I was there at. Uh, do you know who won the highest central player of the week? Because how does nine home runs in 13 games not win player of the week? I, I, I didn't recognize the name. Uh, it was somebody that had a higher batting average during the week okay. than, than Cohen uh, I did because okay. almost all of his hits that week were home runs. Uh, so it was close. I imagine it was very close. So the, the last thing I'll say on that is, you know, everybody, of course, the, the follow-up question is, well, this guy has 21 home runs. This is incredible. But what about the strikeouts? And it's totally fair. Even Griffin will tell you, like, I know, I know about the strikeouts. Like, I get it. Uh, but right now it's actually lower than it was the, for the first time this year. Strikeout rates lower than it was in 2019 in a ball. He's got 41 home runs over his last 130 something games. I mean, and he walks a ton. And I think that really hedges things. You know, if you're looking at Joe Adele, who's right up there in home runs with him, obviously at AAA, Joe Adele strikes out right around the same amount, but he walks maybe a third of the time or amount of the time that Griffin does. And I really believe that walks hedge that strikeout issue a lot. And a guy like Griffin, I don't see the strikeouts being more of a matter of swing and miss. Sometimes I think it's just he doesn't see a lot to hit. He quickly finds himself in these two strike counts. If he fouls one pitch off, gets another breaking ball that's located, and then all of a sudden it's defense mode. And these zones are huge in, in A ball. I mean, it, it's crazy. I, I talked to Zach Cohn who recently signed with the Marlins and he's in low A now, but they brought him up to triple A to fill in for a little bit and then back down to a ball. And he said the zone felt like it was a third of the size. He thought he got rung up like three different times and was like, Oh, this is nice. Like, this is really cool. So as somebody that walks a lot, I do really believe that, that Griffin will benefit from the tighter zones at the higher levels, because for him, it's not a matter of chasing an egregious amount or, or swinging and missing an egregious amount. I really think it's just a little bit of seeing a lot of breaking stuff and still trying to figure out how these pitchers are going to attack you. Because the scouting reports don't really help him because the scouting reports don't pertain to him. So it's going to be interesting to see how that translates to the next few levels. But he can't be doing much more right now to get the promotion to double A. And you've got to figure it's only a matter of time. Yeah, well, we're recording this right before the new minor league week starts. It's very possible that... I don't know. You'd probably know first if he got promoted, right? Yeah. So, so yeah. I think you can confirm that he's not getting promoted right now uh, to start this week. That for the moment he's still with Bullite. I, I can confirm he's heard absolutely nothing. So right. that's that's all I can say. Uh, okay. But uh, I will say that there's a new locker in Bullite, so and an outfielder uh, in the Marlins org. So that oh. is interesting. Uh, that was okay. above. So uh, I don't know. It, it hasn't. That was a couple of days ago where um, one of the guys that was above has a new locker in Beloit and that hasn't translated into Griffin getting called up. So we'll see. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking at it when I was talking to a couple of the Beloit guys, they're like, if Griffin's not getting called up, what the hell do I have to do kind of thing? And I, I feel like you have to almost call him up because of that too. Like these players are going to be sitting there thinking this dude has 21 jacks and he's not getting moved up. Well, what do I have to do to get moved up? And uh it, by the way, one little plug, I, I want to just say how impressed I was with Bo Hollins. That's one of those guys that you have yeah. to watch day in and day out. He's, his dad was a big leaguer, and you can just tell. He carries himself so well. He does everything fundamentally sound. He'll tell you himself, I don't have a plus tool, but he does everything well. I really think he's like a big league utility type, and I, that guy really impressed me on and off the field in terms of his mindset and in terms of the way he approaches the game. I had to throw Bubba in there. Just an awesome guy and, and a great player. 
Yeah, no, he's been red hot. I've seen his stats. Uh, he's been terrific, especially lately. He got a little bit of time up in double A and then got back down, but he might be going up soon. Um, and I mean, we're recording this right after, right as the draft pretty much just ended. And the Marlins took a lot of college players outside of those first two prep guys. It took a couple uh, college outfielders who you imagine will either be, they could make a case to be plugged in at Beloit. And when you're running out of room at Beloit, you might as well move somebody up. So I think one way or another that Conine within, it's just a matter of weeks, I would think until, especially now that these draft picks are here, once they finally get signed, I think that is ultimately is what's going to push him up. So in the very near future, he'll get tested at double A again, just to like go through some of the stats for people that aren't familiar. He is, his OBP is right around 400. His slugging is right around 600. His uh, weighted runs created plus is one. 161, 61% better than league average. He's played every single game and he's doing it pretty much half against guys that are younger than him, half that are against guys older than him. Yeah, he's, he's ready for a next challenge, even though it is, as even you admit, it's a pretty tricky player to like project moving forward because of the strikeouts, because of specifically the swings and misses. Um, on that same related note, though, uh, as I mentioned up top, you got a new podcast that's part of Just Baseball with with Jeff, with Mr. Marlin himself outside the box, a few episodes into that show. And I've been listening to each of those episodes so far that with him, uh, that you know him pretty well, but it sounds like every single episode, he finds something to tell you that you didn't already know about. <laughs> and it's, it's really, um, well, you might as well talk about it yourself about what exactly that show focuses on. Uh, what, what is the outline that the show goes through uh, each episode uh, and how does it kind of marry both his career as a player and also those contemporary baseball topics? Yeah, I think it's a great question because it's something that we've set our baseline, but it's also a bit fluid because he just, he takes so much of his knowledge for granted because of course he's 17 year vet, you know, and just sometimes I'm like, Jeff, that's a crazy story, man. Like you got to tell that. And, and the crazy thing about it is a lot of the stuff I've never heard before, a lot of the stuff Griffin has never heard before. We'll be hanging out at dinner and Griffin's been, we'll be like, I've never heard that story. And so in the last episode we just put out, he's talking about his trip to Tokyo to sign Ichiro. And it's just stuff like that. that it's just endless. He's got so many stories. But I, what I love about our baseline is that we start every episode. He wears one of, he has, if you saw his like man cave, he has just it's almost all the way around the entire place. It's just signed jerseys from players that he interacted with that he really enjoyed or uh, really appreciated. And so every episode he wears a jersey, uh, but won't let me see the number of who it is. I can only see the team. And I try and guess who it is. And then uh, he'll tell me the story behind that player. And I mean, last episode was about Ozzie Smith and how he met him in the All-Star game and just how good of a guy he was. The this episode before that, it was George Brett. And it's just, he, I almost forget myself just – how many incredible ball players that he crossed paths with. You look at the all-star rosters from the mid-90s that he was on. Holy crap. Like, it's just straight Hall of Famers from top to bottom. Um, so, you know, just being able to just almost be a megaphone for him. For, that, that's what I want to do is just be like, ask the questions that I feel like the listeners would want to hear just because he has such a wealth of knowledge that I, I want to showcase it and I want to be that platform for him. So, just trying to team him up and allow him to share that knowledge whether it's talking about the Derby uh, and predicting and as a guy that hit 420 in course field, why it's so much easier to hit in course field beyond just the altitude. You know, there's a lot of other things that go into it. And then into things like CBA as, as a guy that was involved with that during the strike and just so many different things. And then of course the incredible stories of, you know, playing in 
you know, the World Series and playing against some of these different players and hitting against Mariano. And it's just, it, for me, sometimes I have to sit back and think, holy crap, you know, this is just such an honor to be able to pick this guy's brain. He faced Mariano, he faced all these guys and just has so much insight. And um, I'm really excited about the podcast. I really think Marlins fans and beyond will enjoy it because of the way Jeff is able to just convey everything that he has in there. His recall is unbelievable. And uh, I try to do my best to get the best out of him. And uh, I, it feels like a really good, uh, a really good combination that we have going here on the show. And it's only going to get better. Outside the box available now on Spotify and on anchor, I guess still waiting on Apple podcasts, uh, which is, uh, I guess me personally, I, I listen there, but uh, any day now, as, as you explained to me any day now, it's just, uh, it's not your fault. You, you know that it's going to be, <laughs> I'm trying. Yeah. So I think, it's gonna him, be, I think it's going to, it's going to make it on Apple and Griff's going to get called up to double A on the same day. I think that's, what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. That'd be perfect. And uh, yeah. And for whatever reason, if people can't find it, you post those episodes also on the website on just baseball.com. Uh, yeah. I've, I've seen those article pages as well. So that gets you all uh, plugged in on that pod um, with this, uh, you, you have other stuff to get to here on this all-star weekend. So I wanted to avoid branching into too many different topics. The one we want to finish on here is another round of predictions following those bold predictions we made about the 2021 Marlins season. We are recording this in the midst of the all-star festivities. I want to look ahead an entire year to the 2022 all-star festivities and which Marlins are going to be there. So the premise I wanted to come up with was the top five Marlins candidates you think who could be all-star worthy next season. Uh, I I wanted to cut it off at five uh, just because I think you know this as uh, someone that grew up a Marlins fan and discovered the Marlins that, I mean, they could go, like 90 and zero in the first half of next year, they could be undefeated. And even then they're probably not getting more than five all-stars. No. <laughs> There's just the no limitations shot. with the fan voting, with just the recognition of these individual players that I think no matter what you name five guys and uh, that's probably uh, going to cover it uh, no matter in the absolute best case scenario, that's where they'll probably cap it off uh, before uh, the, the other teams get in the mix there. That's, and that's is all. I've given you enough time to kind of marinate it over. Uh, I will start with with mine. I get, we'll kind of just go through this really informally about who we think these top five guys, the Marlins All-Stars in 2022 would be. Uh, for me, I wanted to start with Jazz, um, who at various points this year, we thought he had a shot uh, for a variety of reasons, not just like his overall skill set and his production, but the fact that the flair that he plays with, he's like the, really the one guy that you could definitely see being a fan elected starter. He is sort of transcendent. He has, he's on that really select list of guys that are mesmerizing to watch. I guess he's a tier below Shohei Otani. He's not Otani, but he's in that next tier of extremely, extremely fun players uh, that do everything with a certain sense of style. Um, I guess one other factor for me, is I'll make the assumption that they find some way somehow to hold on to Miguel Rojas next year. And that jazz is still a second baseman uh, because we know how loaded shortstop is in the national league for the foreseeable future. But with second base, um, he, he had a chance, honestly, this year, if he never got hurt, he would have had a chance at second base in, in the NL. And I think that kind of lowers the bar needed for him to uh, break through. Um, so I'll, I'll, I imagine, was he one of the guys of the five names that are on top of mind for you that you think would have a shot next year? A hundred percent because of exactly what you said, right? At the end of the day, it's a popularity contest to a degree too. And the Marlins have trouble with popularity and he's that transcendent guy. But I also think he could do it on merit just from what he's capable of next year as well. 
So you combine those two, he seems like the best bet. Uh, but to go with with a different name as to who I think could crack it next year, uh, I think Pablo might finally do it. And he had a, he really had a chance this year. Uh, I think I don't I don't really know. Let me start over. If he played for another ball club, I think there's a very good chance that he was in the All Star game this year. And I mean, even like look at in the AL, you say Kikuchi got in with like a three, four, six ERA, <laughs> you know, it's just like, there's, there's some situations there where I think if he was on the right team, he's in, I think that as the, as the league starts to become more aware of how consistent this guy is, and he's not going to give them a choice as he continues to just put up numbers and ERA in the low threes, quality start after quality start. If he has a hot start to his season has a really good stretch where he's in the high twos. I think that that is an easy scenario where he gets in next year, especially as people start to see his personality as well. I'm hoping that that's something that starts to be highlighted a bit more uh, in terms of just how good of a guy he is. And I think it will, as he continues to pitch, it's going to be one of those slower developing things, not like the jazz explosion, but I do think the game is slowly going to start. Maybe that's a little bit of the homerism to me, but I do think people in the game are going to start to appreciate Pablo more and more as he just does it for a long enough time where you can't look the other way anymore. He, Pablo, you may be surprised that he just missed my top five. He is not among my five guys. You will find out why pretty soon. Uh, the one, this is a pretty loose ranking, but the one that is second to me is the the current All Star for the Marlins, Trevor Rogers. Everything that he does, you did a good job describing it uh, from earlier in the pod. That he seems legit. This seems sustainable. What Trevor does. He has plus velocity from the left side. He is such a difficult, it's so difficult to pick up the ball out of his hands. That changeup is incredible. The slider, the slider improves so much from where it was uh, just a really short time ago uh, with those three pitches and with pretty good commands, especially the fastball, great fastball command. that his, he's going to, it's going to be so hard for him to have bad outings as we've seen this year. He has not had, you know, a true bad outing that that consistency is going to keep his stats exactly where they should be. And it's even no offense to Pablo, but it's even a sexier style statistically, at least because he has those days where he does pile up the strikeouts um, against lefties against righties. It's, it's great. And it, he's, he has come so far in a year's time because a year's time, he was not even on the radar to impact the Marlins team a year ago. And now he, he is this. So to me, among all the pitchers, um, I have him at, at the top of the list. Uh, and that kind of also bakes into just my mindset that pitchers, the injury rate is a lot higher. It's more unpredictable. So uh, for me, just in general, I would lean towards expecting position players. I think the position players are kind of easier to count on being healthy next year. Uh, but other than that, I mean, I have my total trust in Trevor uh, moving forward. A hundred percent. And I think what's impressed me the most of Trevor is, is the change up. And as I mentioned it earlier, but it gives him such a good pitch against righties. He's actually better against righties uh, oftentimes because it just fades. It just fades right off the table and they have no chance to hit it, but it's such a good pitch as well that he can go left on left with the change up as well. That just makes me feel like that's a guy that to me, I, not only do I think, he is their best bet next year. I think he could be a guy that does it several, several years. I mean, as long as he stays healthy, it's crazy. You talk about the development. It wasn't that long ago when we were saying, you know, who's better, Braxton Garrett or Trevor Rogers, right? They were like neck and neck, not that long ago. Not, not one was clear in a way more projectable than the other. Uh, and now it's just not even close. And that's not even to knock Braxton Garrett. It's more so just a testament to how damn good 
uh, Trevor Rogers has been. And I think it's just so smooth and easy for him. And the biggest thing that stands out to me is that you mentioned the fastball, how well he commands it, how hard it is to hit. Even when his stuff isn't on, he's able to have a good baseline and compete because of how good that fastball is. And he can lean on it heavily and, and get through six innings, get through five innings of a couple runs, even when he's off. And for that reason, I think that's what makes him the best, the best bet for the Marlins to have an all-star is because, again, he's not going to have those blow-up starts that dismantle your uh, all-star projection because one bad start all of a sudden can just skew that ERA when we're talking about just the first half of the season. I'll admit it. Uh, I was higher on Braxton than I was on Trevor uh, as recently as 2019. I think pretty late into the 2019 season. I I, I would have leaned towards Braxton having the better career and Trevor just continues getting better and better and better and better. Are you ready for my curveball? My curveball all-star Marlins candidate for 2022. It is catcher Wilson Contreras. I am that confident. I love that. I was I think, thinking about that. I think the Marlins are going to get him. Long story short, I think the Marlins really? are going to get him. Uh, the, Mar- the Cubs have not made their trades yet. All reports are though that they are, getting ready to enter into sell mode. Um, Contreras, for, just to be clear with everybody, not a pending free agent. He has one more year of team control beyond this year for the 2022 season. Whether it's at this deadline or after the season, I think the Marlins are going to trade for Wilson Contreras. Reportedly from Craig Mish, there were some sort of negotiations between them uh, in January or early February that didn't really get all that close. Now it's it's clear based on this, based on what the Cubs did last offseason, some of the trades they actually did make, that they're getting ready for their own rebuild again. And Contreras is going to be one of those guys that is great catcher right now, but they, you don't know how good he's going to be five years from now. It doesn't make sense to have him on a totally rebuilding team. The Mar- I think the Marlins are going to get Wilson Contreras, and as long as he's on your team, he's got a pretty good shot at uh, being an all-star. There are a few great catchers in the National League uh, that are, and but most of them are actually older than even Contreras is. So I don't know how exactly they're going to hold up next year. That that's my bold pick is that they're going to get him some way, uh, somehow. There there'll be other teams interested, um, but it's about time that the Marlins. You know exactly where they stand competitively. If they really fancy themselves as contenders next year, they absolutely need to upgrade at the catcher position, something they did not do entering this year. And they just have so much money to spend. They don't, they're not going to know what to do with all this financial flexibility that they have (laughs) moving into next year. Hopefully some of it goes to Wilson. Yeah. And, and he's a guy that you, you know, definitely have to spend a little bit of money, but it's not like it's going to break the bank. So it's, it's a good opportunity for them to add him. I obviously they want to see if they can extend him and that's a component of it too. But you mentioned that it's about time. I think that's the perfect move for the Marlins to make because you have all this prospect wealth. They just had one of the best draft number three on my big board, Glue Watson, fall to them at 16. So you're looking at another just elite type of prospect that is going to be a borderline top 100 guy. He might slot into my top 100 because of where he was on my big board. Uh, that to me, it just has to make you even more uh, willing to trade away from just your wealth of talent in, in the minor leagues, especially pitching wise. Uh, and, and speaking of that, I'm going to go with Edward Cabrera as my Ooh. all-star for next year, because that's a fun one. I, Great. I've made it a case to sit down and watch Edward Cabrera pitch since he came back from injury. I have just been so amazed with this kid. I, I, as long as he can stay healthy, which is, I feel like it's a qualifying statement for almost every pitcher, but it seems like he's come back and it doesn't seem too bothered by the injury. Um, and they managed it well with him. Uh, his fastball is explosive. As you know, the changeup is 
really damn good. And he's got a good third offering as well. The slider's nasty. So I look at a guy like him, he's commanding it really well, which has been the most impressive thing. His command from where it was in 2018 to where it is now is unbelievable. And it's just because he's been able to clean up the mechanics. The fact that he's throwing strikes to the degree that he is now, I could see this guy getting, if the Marlins wanted to do it, getting called up at some point in the second half of the season to for a little cameo, make some starts. But at this point, I don't really think he needs to prove anything in the minor leagues anymore. I feel like I've seen enough. It's more about workload and building him up. And I think he can start the year in the big leagues next year. And I don't think he's going to miss too much of a beat there. Similar type of two-pitch dominance with the fastball and the changeup, and he locates well. In Marlins Park, with the ground balls he's able to get at times too, I think he could be a really, really, really good pitcher. And this rotation is just going to be scary. To me, he is at this moment. We had a fun conversation about this on our site starting yesterday mm-hmm. about who is the number one Marlins prospect at this very moment. And to, for me, he's the guy with the uncertainty about Sixto's health. Mm-hmm. And uh, with, to this point, still some inexperience from Max Meyer, from Jake Eater, of course, obviously uh, still find We want to, we're still learning so much about Khalil, uh, even though he does have in- insane potential on his own that for me edward cabrera is that one guy at the very top and not one of my top five here though like two more names to get to i i am going with jesus sanchez as being a guy that could be an all-star next year and what would be his first full major league season i'm not super confident in him long term on recent pod episode i was kind of nitpicking his defense and something that kind of, I think, could hold him back from being a great all-around player. I just think he is someone that has that potential to go on these crazy hitting explosions that carry on for a few weeks or a month or more. That He's, he's a guy that I could see next year. Uh, it seems like all indications are he's going to enter 2022 as an everyday player uh, for this team, whether it's in left field or in right field. And I just, I love the potential of his bat to go on these crazy streaks. Again, the questions about the consistency, I can nitpick him in other ways, but he's someone that I'm already comfortable anticipating that he'll be playing every single day. Uh, And when he is locked in, um, the stats are going to be pretty fantastic, at least for certain stretches of the season. All all these guys, once you get past the top few, are uh, really long shots uh, and could go in unpredictable directions. But I, I like... I'll just throw it out there so that I look really good in hindsight if he actually does do it. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't, uh, if he struggles next year, then we could forget this ever happens, but I'll just throw his name out there. That's the beauty of this, right? (laughs) That's the beauty of it. I I like that pick a lot though, because like you said, he's quietly hitting 106 WRC plus. I mean, he's not lighting the world on fire, but given that he just got called up and uh, that there's some approach uh, issues that he's been ironing out, but I've actually been really encouraged with a lot of his ABs. I thought, that he's looked pretty good at times in terms of laying off the pitches that he used to go after a little bit more and leveraging his hitters counts a little bit more. I'd like to see him hit the ball in the air. I mean, we're still seeing him hit the ball on the ground 56% of the time. And it's been pretty clear that the, that the approach against him, the report on him is hard stuff in and we see him get crowded in on the hands a little bit. And that's going to be part of part of the issue at times. But I think is he seems like, I don't know about you, but when I watch him, I feel like he's finally starting to learn something game to game. You're seeing him start to almost take those mental notes and the approach. Sometimes he gets outside of it, but for the most part, I would say where we saw him last year, 
and where we see him this year. And even from when he first got called up to now a few weeks later, it seems like he's starting to understand how he's going to be attacked and is starting to trust himself, trust himself, trust his hands in the bat speed that he has. I think that's a great pick too. Uh, I think one that probably both of us are going to have here, especially you, but I, I got to go Anthony Bender. Um, the way that relievers get in nowadays, right? You just need a dominant half. And if Anthony Bender was doing this a little bit earlier, right? If he, if he was getting more of the back end opportunity, even if let's, let's say he's named the closer and puts up the exact numbers he's put up for maybe a little bit larger of a sample size, how is he not in, right? How many relievers have been much better than Bender? The problem is, I would say when it comes to marketability, it matters the most with relievers, right? Like you have to be that big name closer that's closing out games for, uh, or at least a closer that's closing out games for a big name team that everybody's watching, right? Nobody cares who's winning the games at the end of the ninth for the Marlins, unfortunately. Uh, right now, that's just what it is. But I think Bender could have the type of year or the type of first half where his numbers are so undeniable that you have to put him in. And he was pretty close to that this year if he got an earlier start. And for me, Anthony Bender seems like the guy that can just force his way in. Uh, whether you know him or not, he's just going to force his way in as a, as a bullpen reserve. And uh, to me, he's just too good with the, sw- with the swing and miss and the strikeouts he racks up. And uh, the stuff, too, the pitching ninja-esque stuff, I think can kind of help him get a little bit of helium there, too, is just a, just a guy that you look at his pitches and you're like, how is that possible? For me, uh, as much as I love him, he was a tier below for me in terms of the most likely Marlins All-Stars next year. I think he'll be great. Uh, I I hope, unlike Nick Anderson, I hope they do hold on to him for at least, you know, one more year for us to enjoy this because as easy as it is sometimes to create great relievers out of nowhere, as they basically did with Bender, um, you want to have some sort of continuity uh, from guys you can trust and from guys whose stuff is, his stuff in particular is uh, almost unrivaled by other guys in the league. So I, I, I could see it happening. But the one who I put ahead of him kind of rounds out my top five behind Jazz, Trevor, Wilson Contreras, Jesus Sanchez. I went with another former all-star. I went with Sandy or, or Sandy in 2019. Um, he was an all-star. Uh, I think I he was an automatic all-star kind of in you know the most traditional sense that it was, it was so far removed from the kind of pitcher he is now. He was an all-star then. He's not an all-star now, but he's probably twice the pitcher right now that he was back then. He is someone who every step of the way, he surprises me by how he continues to get better every step of his career. Um, and he keeps making adjustments. He's throwing harder than ever right now than he was at any other point of his career, which is highly unusual. And um, to this point, having we, we talked so much about Pablo in the first half of the season that he had, and Sandy was basically right along with him in terms of all the ratios all the run prevention and he did it while actually pitching more innings for a while there. He was leading the entire major leagues in innings pitched as much as durability is a question with almost any pitcher. He's, he's the guy that you almost overlook those concerns by his track record and by his mechanics and by his now track record in the majors through now parts of five seasons he's had, but he's been thankfully pretty injury free when it comes to actual arm issues to this point in the season. The one question with him that I noticed, I kind of picked it apart on one of my recent pod episodes is that 
since they got rid of the sticky stuff last month, the spin rate on his four-seamer went down. Uh, in some cases, he's barely used that pitch at all. In other cases, when he has used it, it just hasn't been as effective. It's just like the latest adjustment that he's going to have to make where the spin on his four-seam isn't what it used to be. He doesn't feel he can get swings and misses with that pitch as much as he used to. Uh, I mean, thankfully, he has like four other weapons that can get the job done with his breaking balls, with his changeup, with his sinker. And I'll be very interested to see how that plays out uh, the rest of the way. I just don't want to bet against him again. He wasn't really all that far removed from the all-star conversation this year. Once he uh, gets more time to adjust to uh, this new reality, I'm just going to put uh, my faith in him getting back to the all-star game. Uh, I think he's, I agree. And I'm going to make that my, my option as well, but I want to give one more bonus. So we don't have the same ones, but what, what I like is what you mentioned is just like, he, of course, he's never going to be Jacob DeGrom. But when you talk about the fact that he is uh, the only guy, the only starter that's even in that realm of throwing that hard consistently, he's, that's the only guy that's above him. Uh, if he can continue to find a way to command, and I think we've seen it get better every single year, like you mentioned, if he continues to get better with the command, um, and I mean, even a guy like DeGrom, he wasn't always commanding it like this. Of course, he was dominant uh, pretty early, but he wasn't commanding it like he is now. If Sandy could still have just even a little bit of that progression each year where he's commanding that 99 with sync, uh, that is something that I think is going to be too hard to hit and gives him, again, a really good baseline, even when his stuff's not on, that he can locate that 99 with sync, get the ground balls and roll seven innings. Like that's what we see him do a lot when he's working, even when he's not getting the swings and misses, is roll into those seven innings. I think he needs to discover uh, a little bit more, tap into that go to out pitch. The slider doesn't always play. And if he can get that going, which I have full faith in him, we, we almost forget how young he is, right? Like he is, he's still really young. What is he, 25 years old? Yep. He's still got a lot of youth on his side. He's got plenty of time to figure it out. I mean, DeGrom didn't start into the big leagues until like right about now, right? So in terms of, of Sandy's age, right? 26 years old, was it? So when you look at that, I think we forget that he, he is still so young. So I think he's a guy that I wouldn't even say it's crazy at some point in his career to win a Cy Young. I mean, that's lofty, but all-star, not a stretch. I, I would I would like to say that Starling Marte, I believe, and the reason why I put, want to put him in here is because I believe the Marlins are going to extend him. And Ooh, all right. They do. Hashtag they pay do. Marte. Pay Marte. We've been all over that, right? I think they're going to extend him. And I think he's just going to kind of ride off into the sunset in Miami. I think he's going to have a, a really good, I'm hoping it's three years. We'll see. Maybe they'll give him a one-year deal after that. That's very possible too. But I just think he's going to be comfortable, have that security. He likes it here. Uh, he's been hitting well. As long as he is, is on the field consistently, it, I think for him, you kind of know what he's going to put up. Mid-800s OPS, some highlight reel defensive plays, steal some bags. It's going to be more about what the other center fielders are doing. But if it's a year where there's not that much production in center field, uh, where we're seeing like kind of like this year where a lot of guys are struggling, I think he could sneak in as a reserve. And uh, I, I'm just I wanted to put him in there just because I think the Marlins pay Marte. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be happy if that happens because they really need to have a center fielder for the next few years because they don't really know what they're going to do in that regard. And if they don't pay Marte, they're going to have to pay somebody else. So you might as well just pay the guy who wants to be here. It makes all the sense in the world. Uh I've been I've been doubtful that's going to get done. If it didn't get done already, I, I'm not so sure. But that it's going to be the biggest storyline around the Marlins these next couple of weeks, uh, as you know, is how those negotiations go and how it influences what they do at the deadline 
I, I wish, man, that would be fantastic to, to have him around speak for all the reasons that you said. And uh, for brief moments, yeah, the kind of hot streaks that he had earlier this year. And he's, he's great. He's a great foundational piece, despite his age, uh, at least for the next few years. He's exactly the kind of guy you want to lock in. And uh, we heard uh, reportedly about his asking price. It seemed totally reasonable for me, um, but we'll see whether the Marlins feel the same about that. Uh, this has been fantastic with RM Layden. You can, uh, you can find him on Twitter at RM Layden eight. You can find, uh, go to just baseball, please go to just baseball. It's going to be your favorite new place for all levels of baseball coverage, all angles of baseball coverage. And he is, he got it all started for you guys. So thank him later. Enjoy their content now. Locked on Marlins, locked on MLB prospects. Listen to those pods and that show with Jeff Conine outside the box with Jeff Conine coming very soon to all your favorite pod platforms. It's already up on their website and on Spotify. Enjoy the all-star game. Arm, thanks for stopping by. It should be a, a great night in Colorado. And then it should be an even better second half of the season. Yeah, I hope so on the Marwin side. Thank you for all the kind words. Thank you for letting me on the show. I'm always having a blast on here. So I know we'll probably hopefully get a few more in before the uh, end of the season. And uh, I will have some Marwin specific pieces, I promise, on JustBaseball.com because I do have to write about the whole league. But admittedly, I'm still a Marlins guy at heart and I'll have some deadline pieces coming up. So excited about that. So thank you for the plug. And uh, you'll probably be hearing from me via text. I might need some of your thoughts on the deadline uh, because we're going to we're going to get, I think the moments are going to get created. So we'll have some fun, but thanks again. It's always a blast to talk to you, Eli, and uh, look forward to doing it again soon.